The reason that our country is in the mess that it is in today is not because of the Republicans, it's not because of the Democrats. Let me tell you this, it's because of lame Christians. There is a reproach that comes with being a follower of Christ. We in America have tried to reshape the whole church so that it's palatable and likable in the culture. A church that is accepted well with the culture is usually not accepted well with Christ. The church is a fortress, and a fortress is strength. A fortress is might. Not only a center of defense, but a place of strategic planning and offense. Our God does not expect us to wait for the darkness to enclose around us. He expects us to take up His banner and fight the darkness with His light. You want to know what the biggest problem with America is? The wolf is this country. Gave in. Gave in to public pressure. Gave in to political correctness. One of the greatest curses this country has ever had to deal with is political correctness. Preparing the Christian to shine the light against the darkness of this world. Welcome to Our Mighty Fortress Podcast. I'm your host, Ron Miller, and welcome to the show. We have an interesting subject to cover today, but first, please go ahead and hit that follow or subscribe button on the podcast platform, which you listen to us upon. We do have many social media platforms with all sorts of material that you can listen to and read, in fact. Check us out on our fan page on Facebook when you type in the search bar, the at symbol Mighty Fortress 313. And of course, if you are listening to us through the YouTube page, please go ahead and hit that like button for the video and subscribe to the channel. It really does help us out, so click that subscribe. I appreciate it. You can also take a look at our website on ourmartyfortress.com. We have all the media hosted there as well with short articles to various different subjects to read and even a link to our merch store to help support the work. Of course, if you do feel so motivated to donate to the work that we do here, feel free to do so through our website in the established PayPal link. If, of course, we have helped you in some way through our work, you can go ahead and email us at ourmightyfortress at gmail.com. By following supporting the podcast, you let me know that you care about the subjects that we discuss. Today, I'd like to talk about a different angle of a subject than what the average Christian might be used to hearing. There are negative connotations that go with talking about the, the sect or religious sect known as the Pharisees in the Bible. And some of it, you know, the biblical context uh, of, of talking about these people is true. But it's not the whole story, and especially on how it's used today. I want to analyze the story of the book of Acts, chapter 23, verses 1 through 10, because in this, you're going to find that this attitude is strangely familiar to our modern world and in our everyday lives. I am ever more reminded of this as I talk to people who call themselves Christians on social media or even the people that are around us, we have to start asking some serious questions about our faith and what we truly believe. The book of Acts in chapter 23 has Paul already back in Jerusalem towards the end of his grand story to preach to the brethren and his own people. The Jewish authorities used this particular opportunity to snatch him up. 
and basically wrongly accuse him of various things. I want to focus not so much on the situation that Paul was in, because God is going to you know, deliver him and carry him on eventually to go to Rome. But I want to look at the state and makeup of the Sanhedrin and the Jewish peoples. The reason for this is because there are very valuable lessons that applied not only in Paul's day, but also in our own as well. It's a battle of belief versus disbelief. We are going to follow up on this particular subject the week after Christmas, after we do our Christmas podcast anyways, and we're going to follow up with religious hypocrites, but stay tuned for that because this is going to be the foundation for this. It's important to grasp this because this battle is still raging today. When we look at what Jesus Christ expects of his church as we live in a chaotic society, we have to start asking some questions about how we're going to believe about various things the word of God says. I pray that this podcast will be a blessing to you and help give you strength and motivation to stand up for the word of God. With that introduction, let's get right into this. I want to start with reading the few verses here in the book of Acts in chapter 23 because it's going to lay the foundation for everything that we're going to talk about. It says, starting in verse 1, And Paul, earnestly beholding the council, this is the Sanhedrin, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God unto this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded them that stood by him to smite him on the mouth. Then said Paul unto him, God shall smite thee, thou whited wall. For sittest thou to judge me after the law, and commandest me to be smitten contrary to the law? And they that stood by said, Revilest thou God's high priest? Then said Paul, I wist not, brethren, that he was the high priest, for it is written, Thou shalt not speak evil of thy ruler, or of the ruler of thy people. But when Paul perceived that one part was Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. Of the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am called into question. And when he so said, there arose a dissension between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the multitude was divided. For the Sadducees said that there is no resurrection, neither angel nor spirit, but the Pharisees confessed both. And there arose a great cry, and the scribes that were of the Pharisees' part arose and strove, saying, We find no evil in this man, but if a spirit or angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God. And there was a great dissension. The chief captain, fearing lest Paul should be pulled into pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and to take him by force from among them and bring him into the castle. Now our story here begins with Paul standing before the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem. Now, who were the Sanhedrin? The Sanhedrin was kind of like a religious supreme court, sort of say. It was 70 Pharisees and Sadducees. Now, we don't exactly know if it was made up of 35 and 35 or how that was all broken down. But he was brought before them to be condemned for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul's first statement was that he lived having a good conscience before God, and yet the high priest Ananias commanded that, be, that he would be hit in the mouth for such. He had that much disdain for Jesus Christ. Paul right away rebuked him for doing so contrary to the law. 
And what he means is he's referencing Deuteronomy chapter 25 and verse 2. And it talks about the abuse of power. He had called Ananias a whited wall, <laughs> which is similar to what Jesus Christ called the Pharisees in Matthew 23, 27, where he said, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're like whited sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead man's bones and of all uncleanness, end quote. I always love this uh Jesus' particular hypocrite passages, and we're going to talk about some of this in a few weeks, but because people say, oh, you can't say anything mean, and Jesus blasted people at times. Now, given that what he said was true, and he found out that it was, the when he found out that's a high priest, Paul you know, thought wisely and said, okay, I need to be careful, because if I start blasting the high priest, then we're going to have a bigger issue on our hands. <laughs> Paul was pretty wise, and he did cite the scripture saying, you know, about being careful about what you say to the rulers of people. Now, there is precedent for this because Jesus Christ himself uh, stood before Caiaphas, the high priest before Ananias, and he did not say a word. So there is something to be said there. Apparently, uh, Caiaphas, the one that tried and forced uh, Jesus to go uh, to Pilate, he had passed away somewhere between the time of that and the time of Paul being tried. Now, of course, this could be around at about 20 uh, plus years or so. So Caiaphas is already dead at this point. I will say that when I went to Israel back in 2018, I visited different sites uh, you know, of the Holy Land. I went to the museum there in Jerusalem. They actually have Caiaphas's bone box. And what I mean by bone box is that they would put uh, the dead bodies, just like they did with Jesus and that type of thing, to put them in uh, these caves uh, or family caves even, and basically let you know the flesh and that type of thing rot and, and kind of leave the bones. Later on, about a year or so, they would uh, go back into the cave and then take the bones and then put them in a nicely ornated box or whatever. Well, you know, of course, if you had more money, your box would look a lot nicer, that type of thing. Well, in Jerusalem's uh, museum, you actually had Caiaphas's bone box. It's absolutely amazing to see. And I, I don't mean that necessarily in a positive way, but you sit there standing in front of it and you're looking at it and you're thinking, at least I did. I'm like, this is the man that put Jesus Christ to death. Now, sure, Caiaphas brought uh, Jesus to Pilate, and Pilate was the final authority because of Roman law. But Caiaphas was the one that forced it. This was the man that's burning in hell, or is this is the man that's burning in hell? Unbelievable, and it's a very it is sobering in a sense. Now, back to our story, Paul. He did realize that part of the Sanhedrin was Pharisees and part were Sadducees in the crowd. He said, okay, I'm going to cause a division between them because before he gets a chance of being wrongly tried. Paul is pretty wise here. He's very observant. And I'm sure that the Sadducees and the Pharisees wore different types of robes to identify themselves. I don't, that's just human nature as it is, so it makes sense. Those that were there uh, knew Paul. 
because he had once been among them and he had his credentials as a Pharisee. You got to remember that Paul used to be among these people. So I guarantee many there. There are probably a lot of new people or new faces, okay, because a long you know, bit of time had passed uh, since he had been doing missionary journeys and that type of thing. But guarantee there are plenty of faces that knew exactly who Paul was. He said, Paul, he said that he was being tried for his belief in the resurrection of the dead, which was true, given that Christ was the one who was seated upon the white horse in Revelation has come for the saints. You'd have the resurrection of the dead. Well, what happens next is that there's instantly a division among the Pharisees and the Sadducees because of their vastly different viewpoints of God. You see that in verse 8. It says, For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, neither angel nor spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. End quote. Now, we have the backdrop for the situation, but let's focus on the root of the problem here. How is there such division of belief given that the men of the Sanhedrin are supposed to, anyways, believe the scriptures. See, back in the Old Testament prophets, we saw the nations of Israel and Judah being destroyed for their idolatry against the one true God. They were each taken into captivity. The northern kingdom was taken by the Assyrian Empire, and Judah was eventually taken by the Babylonian Empire. After 70 years of captivity, the Jewish peoples were allowed to go back to their land. But there were some major changes that took place at this time. The first change was that the children of Israel had a constant problem with idolatry from the book of Exodus all the way until the destruction of Jerusalem in the book of Jeremiah. But when they returned from the captivity, it's never recorded again that as a nation that they would ever spiral downwards into false idol worship. Now, this is pretty substantial. Now, there are some practices of worshiping Yahweh that went off uh, different directions at times as they decide to worship, you know, God in their own way instead of what God dictated. It's very similar to what, you know, today's modern culture does with Christianity and the different denominations and the foolishness that various sects do. But the unity towards Yahweh God was like never before. This is pretty important. The second major change was the pursuit and teaching of the scriptures. They compiled the scriptures and studied them like never before. They realized why they were brought into captivity and wanted to teach their children to never go down the same path again. After the book and prophet Malachi, God hadn't sent a prophet to the Jews for over 400 years until the coming of Christ. What is important to note about everything I said is that during this time, you have a switch in the tactics of Satan. When killing the people of God and getting them to fall off into idolatry just didn't work any longer, he switched to try to cause, try to cause an element of disbelief to arise within the people who would then in turn doubt the word of God. Over that time to the day of Paul the Apostle and our original text, we see the division amongst the religious leaders at this time. Now, over time, there was a festering or infection of disbelief in the things of God. It had been 400 plus years since they had a prophet and generations had forgotten the mission set before them from God. 
Now, of course, even during the time of Jesus, there were plenty of people that actually believed and became saved and born again. There were believers, of course, but you had a lot of the false teachings that would arise from the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees still believed, though, in the resurrection of the dead and things spiritual, while the Sadducees denied both. The Sadducees were the religious liberals of the day. So what did Satan do exactly? Well, he'd gone back to the lie in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3.1, where he said, Yea, hath God said, end quote. Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 9, The thing which hath been, it is said, or it is which shall be, and that which is done, that is, shall be done, and there is no new thing under the sun. What is he talking about? Well, Satan went back to the bread and butter of how he got Eve to fall, and Adam to fall with her. Yea, hath God said, basically doubting the word of God. Satan hasn't changed his tactics over thousands of years. He just pulls the same shenanigans, even with the church today. And what is that? To cause the rise of disbelief. There were false prophets in the day of the apostles and the early church, but they couldn't get a foothold into the church overall. Satan used the Jews and the Roman emperors to persecute and kill thousands of Christians until the time of Constantine. Then he got the government involved with church and religion and managed to kill born-again Christians through the Catholic Church for centuries until the Reformation of the 1500s. From here, we would see the explosion of religious freedom and the rise of the Baptists, who had always been around but had the advantage of growth during these period, periods of limited persecution. Yes, there were diverse opinions over some doctrines, but the unity of the church on salvation by faith through God's grace saw millions of people get saved. Missionaries were literally sent out all over the world and churches were planted. Satan saw that killing Christians was not being that effective anymore. So we went back to the bread and butter of his deceit. Yea, hath God said. This switch in tactics occurred approximately between the 17 and 1800s and has progressed since then. Piece by piece, Satan has caused disbelief in the various aspects of God that brings us into our current culture today. During the Enlightenment period, Satan saw that man could rebel against the old way of life, which was made out to you know, just represent superstition, an angry God, and absolute submission to authority. The atheistic freethinkers of the Age of Reason ushered in a new way of thinking that focused on the accomplishments and greatness of man rather than God. This would evolve with various philosophers such as Friedrich Nietzsche who took great pains to express that God is dead. And what he meant by that was that the death of all absolutes, values, and morals. Another German philosopher, Ludwig Feuerbach, wrote to discredit anything about the existence of God and said that religious ideas were just merely the projection of the human needs and desires. God was simply a personified, uh, or God is simply personified human wishes, end quote. 
Then Satan tried to attack through the avenue of science and the theory of evolution with Charles Darwin in 1859. The propagation that man has evolved led to mass killings of inferior, inferior peoples. Not only the disbelief of God, but just led out to sorting uh, humans themselves into different groups. Contrary to the current atheist opinions of Adolf Hitler's motives for killing peoples he considered inferior or underdeveloped, it was completely based upon the evolution of man. The entire concept of evolution is the natural selection of more evolved species of animals, and so why do we have different human races in the world if not for evolution, right? The natural logical thinking in this is that man all over the world has evolved differently from one another. There are so many examples to give as the United States and Europe participated in you know, euthanizing the poor, the sick, and the unfit. The lack of the definition of life by science on purpose you know, led to just millions and millions of uh, aborted children. When I was in college, I participated in a speech contest. This is a secular college. I participated in a speech contest amongst uh, various colleges, and the Lord moved me to speak on the subtle euthanizing of people by putting DNR or do not resuscitate on their charts. That was back in 2014, but it's, it's even out and more in the open today. That's absolutely unbelievable. Euthanizing the the severely handicapped and the old especially. At the same time that Charles Darwin and his theory of evolution took off in the 1800s, German rationalism arose in what's called the Wellhausen theory, attacking the validity of the Bible. Now, these theories or the theory and then the uh, the teaching that came through it, the JEPD theory, was shown to be false. But yet somehow this idea is still propagated today with avenues such as like the History Channel and the like. They still talk about the Wellhausen theory. Now, they don't call it that, but they'll use the same ideology. Many did what they always wanted to do. Just throw away their Bibles and live the way that they wanted to live. Satan didn't stop there. He kept going with the emergence of communism. Karl Marx is said to have undoubtedly been one of the most influential figures in modern times. Believing that religion was the enemy of man, Marx argues, quote, Religion is the sigh of the oppressed creature, the sentiment of a heartless world, and the soul of soulless conditions. It is the opium of the people. The abolition of religion as the illusory happiness of man is a demand for the real happiness, end quote. There are atheists that will still try to argue that while Hitler killed 21 million non-battle-related, uh, 77 million were killed in communist China, 62 million in the Soviet Gulag state, and 2 million murdered in the Khmer Rouge killing fields of Cambodia, that atheism had nothing to do with it. Right. The problem is that communism is based upon the premise that religion must be abolished. Atheism is directly responsible for the deaths more than Catholics and Muslims combined. Think about that. The Catholic Church slaughtered millions of people through its time, and so did the Muslims. But that comes nowhere close to the numbers that atheism has killed.
And of course, let's not forget the millions of children across the world currently being slaughtered through abortion as well. What, what, but what does atheism have to do with that? That's because you remove the value of life upon something. That value especially is especially religious, especially given from God. So yes, atheism does have a lot to do with the murder of children in the womb. So first we have the belief in the one true God that is broken down. Then Satan can get man to fall back into idolatry. Since man was designed to worship his creator, Satan cannot eliminate man from worshiping, so he just gets man to be spiritual, an overall spirituality, and worshiping everything but the one true God. So this brings us right to where we're at in the modern society. How many today are still in those same two categories? Well, we have even evolved what the unspiritual Sadducees were and taken it a step further. Once again, Solomon's words come to mind as there being nothing new under the sun. All of this we have said so far just really culminates to this point. The title of the podcast is Pharisee or Sadducee. At first, the choice seems strange and you wonder, well, is there like an option C? But believe it or not, most people will fall into one of those two categories. There are two concepts that are battling each other. Belief versus non-belief. Well, you can say, well, Ron, the Pharisees were made out to be really bad. Well, this is partly true. But not all the Pharisees were bad. Just a portion of them. There were many Pharisees that got saved, actually. The Apostle Paul was one of them. I do find it interesting that on several occasions in the scripture, it mentions Pharisees that get that got saved, but never a Sadducee. Now, I can't prove this without a shadow of a doubt, but there is something to the fact that, well, if you doubt the scripture that much at its very core foundation of God and anything spiritual, then it's pretty difficult for them to repent and turn to Christ, even when presented with the truth. We never read in scripture of a Sadducee just changing how he thought about Christ and saying, man, I need the Savior. I need to become born again. That never happens. And you, you got to think for a moment there that if they doubted anything spiritual, what in the world were they doing in the Sanhedrin anyways? It's like they had achieved a certain seat of power, and so they didn't want to give that up. And they decided to sit there and just cause doubt and unbelief from that position. We have kind of the same thing that takes place today where there are pastors and Christian quote-unquote speakers that will put disbelief out there. And you look at them and go, what are you doing? You say you're a Christian, but yet you disbelieve this, this, X, Y, Z, A, B, C, D. The same thing repeats over and over again. Where the Pharisees went wrong at times was because of the pride that got in the way of their beliefs. They might have believed the right types of things, but the pride and arrogance that would step up and they would love the chief positions and the power that came with it. And of course, not everybody was like this, but the Pharisees that really came after Jesus Christ were. What does this all mean to us today? We're not so different from the times of that Paul and Jesus lived, we're not so different at times if we don't walk in the spirit, but instead choose to walk in the ways of the flesh. You can be religious, 
but our belief can be thrown out the window. We are made in the image of God, and the Hebrew preposition in is used in the same way that as is used. We are created as the image of God, which means we are image bearers. Do you bear Christ's image? Galatians 5.16 says, I say, then walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. There is a lost and dying world out there and everyone we pass by is a soul that is either destined for eternal life or eternal damnation. There are only two sides to be on, belief or non-belief. Now think about it like this, reaching people for Christ doesn't just happen on one day. You know, there are many churches that go out and preach the gospel and we call it soul winning, knocking doors, that type of thing. But don't, and it's good to do those things, but don't let that stop there. There are six other days in the week in which you should be re not only representing Christ in the way that you live your life, but that you should be looking for opportunities to open your mouth and witness the people. I can't tell you how many times I've asked the Lord for opportunities to witness through the rest of my week. And I have had a chance to lead people to Christ and just at least get them the gospel. I've had people that didn't make a decision for Christ, but at least they gave me the opportunity to speak to them and they would listen to what I had to say. There's really so much to learn about God and the patterns of evidences that he left for, uh, here for, for us to demonstrate that he's real. If we sit around, then we can miss out on the blessings of reaching that atheist that has questions and never that never really get answered by Christians. We shouldn't be afraid of the people that call themselves the wise of this world. Christian, pick up a book and start reading. The Apostle Paul was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, which means he had uh, not only secular training and education, but also religious education. He would, of course, then use this type of thing to reach the so-called wisest man of the Roman Empire at Mars Hill in Acts chapter 17. We'll talk about that in a few weeks on another podcast as well. I once heard an evangelist say, and I totally believe it. He said, quote, we say that we're Christians, yet realistically, many of us live like atheists, end quote. I had to consider that because if you think about it, we wouldn't sin the way that we do if we believe God would judge us one day. We have to bear the image of God to a lost and dying world. We have to be that beacon of light. The chaos and violence that's going around us in our country is only going to get worse. But remember, it's a matter of belief versus non-belief. The non-belief is about getting rid of a society of moral absolutes and anything have to do with God. The non-belief people are trying to eliminate the believing people. So that means that as Christians, we can't just sit around. You have to be proactive and do something. Yes, we're to go out and preach the gospel, but there's much more to the Christian life than just preaching the gospel. The Apostle Paul shows us this. Get out there and do the confrontational preaching. Get out there and be confrontational in the way that um, glorifies Christ and speak out against evil. You may say, well, how can I make a difference for the whole country? Well, you make a difference at with one person at a time. It's like one of the gospel songs that talks about if every Christian 
every single Christian were to just reach at least one other person. Think about how many people that actually is. You could convert an entire nation that way. You can convert the entire world that way. But imagine, you know what that says, though? Many Christians are not reaching others. And that's quite convicting. Now, some Christians reach a lot more than others. And you have some Christians that will reach thousands or hundreds or even tens or even just a few. But from what the world that we see, there are still a large portion of people that aren't reaching. But remember, this whole argument about Pharisee or Sadducee and what kind of person are you? It's belief versus disbelief. Which kind of person are you going to be? And in the world that's ever ramping up for the Antichrist, we as Christians can no longer sit on the sidelines. But that choice is yours. I want to thank you for listening. And be sure to follow us on the podcast media. Please take a look at our website, OurMightyFortress.com, and subscribe for more updates. Stay tuned next time for more great content. And remember to find your refuge and strength in Our Mighty Fortress.